Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome down to Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Getting toward the end of the season, Charlie, getting into short rows. <laughs> they you ever, certainly are. Did you ever pick peas growing up as a kid? No, but I learned about the short rows fairly early. Yeah. Are you a guy that likes to hit the short rows early or the short rows late? I mean, some people like to kind of pace themselves up and try to get some momentum up toward the long rows when you're picking that corn or whatever you're doing in the garden. Some people like to start on the long rows and end on the short rows. Uh, I start with the short rows. Do you really? Yeah. I always talk. I want the toughest early. Uh, well, I'm afraid that our season has started with the short rows early, the way yeah. we looked at it, right? We <laughs> we thought we were picking a long row with LSU, but, uh, well, that was uh, that was the shortest of the rows that we've gotten all year, I'm afraid. Yeah, that was just some drop seed on the way of the field, to be honest <laughs> with you. Okay, let's look back at this season. Of course, you're coming off a loss against Auburn. And we're going to talk with Paul Jones later in the show about some recruiting and trying to fill some gaps and things of that nature. But overall, coming back after that loss against Auburn, my general thought consensus right now, talking to people, is people are a little down right now. People, I think, I think, kind of got knocked back after losing to Auburn. What were your thoughts? I mean, we talked about it in the Sunday coffee. After having a chance to kind of think about this a little bit deeper, what were your thoughts on Saturday night and that loss? Well, it's tough to feel good about it, and the reason is you feel like you should have had more production on offense, but you got to give Kevin Steele and that Auburn defense you know, a lot of credit. They played well. They caused Mississippi State a lot of troubles. I thought coming in, I didn't expect that much out of Auburn mentally. I didn't expect them to be that engaged, but maybe there was a little bit of them just playing to save Gus. I wonder to some degree – we, we talk about this in basketball all the time, how freshmen hit a wall. We're playing so many young guys right now. We're playing them a ton of snaps. We're getting them a lot of time. I wonder to what degree some of our young guys haven't just hit a wall a little bit. And, uh, you know, look, they've practiced more. They've done all these things. And if you think about you just even in the number of reps in practice, it's so much different than high school. I wonder if some of these guys are just a little bit worn down. You know, you see it more in baseball. I think you see it more in baseball than you do any other sport. And a lot of times you, you start talking about pitchers, but then those guys that play, you know, if you have a freshman second baseman and they're just not used to it. And usually at a game about game 40 to 45, you see a difference. I mean, you see a complete difference, and it's more mental than it is anything else. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes you just get worn down. And I, I think that's a good point, Charlie. And I was actually going to say that because it just my general observations, and we hadn't talked about that, is it looks to me like some of these guys have just kind of hit like a mental block. And it doesn't have to be freshmen. It has to be in the situation of, you know, they have worked harder this off season. And they're in shape. And it's one thing to be in shape. I'm not saying we're not in shape. I think we're in good shape. But then when you are asked to do so much and you've only got a roster of about 45, 
and it's not just ball games. It's practice. You think about reps of Will Rogers, okay? Let's talk about Will Rogers. How many balls he throws in a game. But he's also asked to do that at practice as well. With really, without over the last month, having someone to share reps with. And what that does to you from a mental standpoint, what that does to you from a physical standpoint. You wonder, too, you go in the different position rooms. And, you know, for those who don't know, most people do, that these guys meet in different groups basically throughout the day. So you've got your outside receivers, you got your inside receivers, you got your line room, your quarterback room, all these guys meeting with their position coaches. Think about how many of those rooms don't have somebody who's really been through it before to say, all right, young guys, stick with me. Here's what we're doing. They're all learning this together. This is brand new to a lot of them. So not only are they doing more, not only are they having to do more in practice without having somebody to share reps with, I think they lack a little bit of, hey, guys, I've been there. Here's how you deal with this. And, boy, this is the kind of thing that would get me thrown out of the SEAL building. But to some degree, don't you feel like as a freshman you got to learn how to pace yourself? I mean, this season's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you wonder how many guys coming in with that chance to play are sprinting out of the gate and don't have a lot left for the back half of the race. Okay, this is not just college football. Let's think about the NFL for a second. All right, you you look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was a good quarterback at Alabama, good quarterback, of course, at Oklahoma. And for all intents and purposes, very studious of the game, understands the game. He had a great game this past Sunday against New Orleans. And this is not to say that Jalen Hurts is not going to have success four to five weeks from now. But think in the NFL and think in college football about how many times a quarterback comes out and for two or three weeks you're like, my goodness, he should have been starting the whole time. This guy's setting the world on fire. And all of a sudden, they kind of come back to earth a little bit. And what's the first thing that analysts say? Well, people just got tape on him. You know, I heard a, I heard Troy Aikman talk one time about, you know, what separates the good quarterbacks and the great quarterbacks. And once you start talking about great quarterbacks like the Brett Favre's and you start talking about, you know, Drew Brees and all these all-time great quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, is there's a difference – in guys that know how to prepare for each and every game over a 12-game period. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys that kind of not flame out after three or four, but they don't understand. And that's one of the things that has to be taught. You think about some of these 18-year-old guys. You talk about some of these sophomores about being able to put one game behind you, good or bad, and focus on the next week. There's only a select few people, and Troy Aikman was talking about, there's only a select few people in the world that can do that, not only in sports but in their everyday life, about the grind of a two-month, a three-month of every single game being able to put last week's game plan behind you and look forward to this week. And, and Charlie, that's kind of what I think about with Will Rogers. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, last year – He's playing Murrow one week, and he's playing Madison Central the next. And he's playing, you know, against you know Germantown one week, and then he's playing against Northwest Rankin one week. In high school, you get some breaks in there. At this level, you don't. And at this level, it will wear you down. And I think that original point you said about, you know, kind of hitting that mental wall. And I'm not saying that Will's hit a mental wall, but it, it can happen. It can happen very easily. Yeah, and I think it's beyond just Will Rogers, though. I mean, you've got guys all over the offensive line. You've got guys everywhere. And, you know, it's not like Will played terribly last time. If you go look at that Auburn game, 
there are some interceptions that I think shouldn't have been on his side of the ledger. Agreed. As well, absolutely. So, you know, um, it it's kind of all over the field in that regard. The other thing you think about, and I think about those Troy Aikman comments, Peyton Manning was an exception to this, but if you think about Steve Young, you think about Brett Favre, you think about a lot of those guys who went on to become great NFL quarterbacks, what did they have in common? They got to sit and watch and learn how to do those things. You know, people forget how long Brett Favre sat on the sidelines before he got to take the field. People forget how long Steve Young baked behind Joe Montana and getting to watch somebody. Um who has Will Rogers gotten to watch? Who has Charles Cross gotten to watch? Who is you, you go all up and down that offensive line, you know, with the freshman that you're playing? You know, who have they gotten to stand and hold a clipboard and watch? And there's a lot of guys just getting thrown into it. Now, that being said, yeah, exactly. And that being said, you know, there are teams out there, there are, there are programs out there right now that are opting out of bowl games and just saying, hey, we just need to sever the ties of the 2020 season. We need to hit the reset button and get back out there. And even though from a mental standpoint, you may be knocked back a little bit if you're Mississippi State, I still think this is a team that given the opportunity, and, that, and the talk right now is this team will play in a bowl game. But I think that's a good thing. I think in a first-year coach, without a spring practice, you need to play as many games as you can possibly play just to get some game reps in. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's one thing I think that Mississippi State can take some pride in and find some hope in, it is this. I think we have seen a team that has played hard. They haven't always played well, but they've played really hard. And they haven't for the most part. Look, they're individuals – but there's a whole list of people who could have found a way out of this season, who could have had an excuse not to play. It's a team that could have backed out of a few games. And we have put our head down, and we've just charged straight into the storm. You know, we've, we've taken our lumps, but we've gotten our time in with the idea that we're going to get better. I expect this team to play in a bowl game if the bowl games don't cancel. Now, that's the thing you worry about is how many of them at some point are going to say, it isn't worth it to us to put on the bowl game. But I think if there's one played and we can be there, whether we've got 40 guys or 50, I think we'll be playing. But here's the reason. Why, why do bowl games cancel? I mean, why do they why do they cancel? Because you ask yourself that question. Okay, if, if and I'm not picking on the people in Birmingham, but it's not fans. I mean, you turn on that game every January and you see nobody there. I think it's more about, and you ask yourself a question about sponsorships. To me, it's all about TV. To me, it's all about do you have the platform to, to put it out there because it's the same as these holiday classics in basketball. It doesn't matter how many people are there. and It's not about the, you know, the, the tickets that you sell. It's more about what you, the platform you have on the TV and the money that you get from television. Yeah, and so with that in mind, as long as teams are playing, I think we'll have a place to go. I think we'll play, and I think we'll get better from it. And I think there will be some really – I won't say there will be. I think there are some very big lessons being learned right now by some of these young players about what a season is like. One of the toughest you'll ever play because there's no, there's no New Mexico State in this schedule. It's all really good opponents, and there has not been a let-up. I think we will be better for this in years to come. 
Well, we certainly appreciate you hanging out with us for another show of Idle Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And Farm Bureau, we talked about the, the, the agents in Neshoba County last week. I got a few texts from people in Neshoba County, of course, giving me a hard time about some of those guys just because they're just good guys. They're all just good guys and members of your community. Uh, check them out at favorites.com and get a, get some rates from Farm Bureau. If you're in Octibal County, Prague Montgomery's agency manager. He's been here for a long time. You know, Tom Jackson is awesome. You've got Enrique Martinez, Gaithan Wells. You've got a good staff in Octibaha County and in every county in the state of Mississippi. So go to favorites.com. Go with the home team. These are guys that are embedded in your community. You go to church with them. You take your kids to school with them. And uh, Farm Bureau, member of each and every community in the state of Mississippi. And our show, once again, brought to you by the fine folks at Farm Bureau. We're going to talk with Paul Jones in just a little bit about Mississippi State recruiting. Paul Jones with 247 Sports. Charlie and I are going to talk a little bit more about Mississippi State football in the 2020 season. And then we'll get you set for the Bulldogs and the Missouri Tigers this weekend, Saturday at 2.30 at Davis Wade Stadium. Appreciate you hanging out with us. This is Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. This segment brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. Cannon Ford, go by and check them out for a new or used car right here before Christmas. I know uh, a lot of you parents out there looking for a way to get the great Christmas present. Charlie, do you love your kids that much? No, but I probably need to get them a car anyway. In fact, I'm going to be calling Chris Keene. In fact, I've already called Chris Keene. He's actually working on something for me right now. Is he really? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chris, I, I think I had like four people call last week asking Chris's number, you know, about getting a newer used car. And, you know, if, if you get you're hit by a deer, you're looking for somewhere to take your car, take, them out, take it out to the body shop at Cannon Ford. They'll get you fixed up. Great customer service. If you need an oil change, a new battery, whatever you need at the service department, you know, the brakes are squealing just a little bit. They can do anything you need and do it right at Cannon Ford of Startwell. And once again, bringing this segment. And, Charlie, let's talk a little bit about the SEC championship game first. Alabama and Florida playing this week. You don't want to talk ACC championship first? Hey, they've got I a mean, new commissioner. That's the marquee matchup, right? Notre uh, Dame and Clemson? No, it's not. That and is a much better matchup than Florida-Alabama, don't you think? Alabama's the best team. No, I don't. I don't. Alabama's the best team, right? They'll be your national champion. Alabama will beat Florida just like Clemson is going to beat Notre Dame. That's going to happen. I mean, Notre Dame had to win in overtime against a Clemson team that didn't have their starting quarterback at home. I mean, this is going to be a whipping. Yeah, at home in front of 15 people. I mean, come on. The bottom line, though, is that should be a much more competitive game if than Notre the Dame, SEC championship game. If Notre Dame gets beat by, by three touchdowns to Clemson, which I'm anticipating happening, should they still be in the top four? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, of course. I mean, who else are you going to put in there? Ohio State that's played like five games? If Notre Dame wins by three points, should Clemson with two losses be in the final four? No. Well, let me say it this way. I've, I'm never going to start putting two loss teams in if I've got a quality no loss or one loss team. Who's the quality one loss team? Well, I don't know exactly. I'd have to think that through. Um, yeah, Texas A&M's number five. But I mean, I'm I'm just not sold on A and M. Maybe it's just I don't like you know I don't like guys dressed up like milkmen. Well, that is certainly a 
a deterrent for me when it comes to Texas A&M and that uh, fan base. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. I just have a hard time right now believing that Florida, even with a win, gets in. Can we agree on that? I will firmly agree on that. Okay, so the SEC championship game, you would have to say with Florida's losses past Saturday, it it takes the luster off that game. And, uh, hey, we've been around this. We've been close to teams, and we've been close to teams that do some stupid things. And it's not fun. (laughs) Man, it's not fun to know how much hard work you put into it. I don't think, and and I I hate to take up for someone who gets a personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct, and yes, that did warrant it. But the kid was kind of an exuberance when he when he tossed the shoe. <laughs> but you still got to call it. But man, just think about how much hard work and how much how much goes into games and how much goes into seasons, and to look out there and you see a guy throw a shoe. And it gets you beat. It gets you beat. Well, it'll be an all-time memory. It'll be one that'll be talked about forever. But here's my issue. You should have never been in the position that that mattered. No. That should never have made a difference because they had no business playing at home, letting LSU even have a chance to have a shoe thrown. I mean, that's ultimately, that's a poor job of preparation. It's a poor job of being ready to play. And I think if Florida is going to be honest with itself, you know, the coaching staff and those players are going to have to spend some time looking in the mirror and thinking about a lot of things individuals did wrong other than the guy who threw the shoe. Their defense is wretched. That's that's the one thing that really stands out to me right now about the game, about the game in the SEC and in, in the game of college football, of kind of how we've morphed into how we defend. You know, I look at Zach Arnett's defense. It's, it's kind of bended, but don't break. We, we give up some yards. We've given up some big plays, I think, sometimes because you have some young guys in the secondary on the backside. And you, hey, we played a game with, what, 20 scholarship players on the defensive side. But at one time, the SEC was that vaunted, so tough defensive league, and it's just not that right now. Not a whole lot of 13-10 games being played right now in the Southeastern Conference. And maybe that's just kind of what's – taking over. I mean, these things kind of come and go, right? Offenses change and then defenses have to react. And sometimes it takes a little time to do that. It's interesting to me though. I'd never thought Alabama would become the team that I thought was going to be the offensive juggernaut. Always viewed Nick Saban as the guy who was going to just play defense and score enough points. You know what? You got to give Nick Saban credit for this. I think if you want to say what held back Gus Malzahn, it was kind of like, I've got my scheme, I've got my plan, and I'm not changing. I don't need to worry about what I do. I think one of the geniuses of Nick Saban, amongst many in terms of motivating players, getting people ready to play, but one of his geniuses is he is always reinventing that football team, and it's like people don't even notice. Is that because, I mean, you look at Nick Saban, you look at a, a Sam Pittman, you look at an Ed Ogeron before this year. I mean, is it is it the ascension to being essentially the CEO that allows you to do that? I mean, if you're Gus Malzahn and you're the offensive coordinator, and I know he brought you know Rhett Lashley or whoever in, and Chad Morris to to quote unquote call plays, but that was still his offense, and he's still you know tinkering in the offense. Is is that the ability of a head coach just to say, hey, I'm going to be the CEO, and hey, you guys do what you do, you better do it well, or you'll be out of here. It's interesting when you talk to people who've been around Saban, how much he challenges his coaches, even when he agrees with them. But one thing he always expects out of his coaches is to innovate, and he'll be the guy that questions them. 
he actually pushes, and you don't think about Saban being this way, but he pushes his coaches really hard to come up with new ideas as opposed to being the guy you think you know, who is a system guy who's got his plan and his process and you stick to it. You think about the frustration it must be to wake up as an Auburn fan during the tenure of Nick Saban because the guy you keep thinking sooner or later will fall apart, I'm now convinced it's not going to fall apart until he's gone. You know, and, and, and kind of looking at, at athletic departments and looking at how, you know, you, you progress. and co- Of course, you know, what, what challenges you to get better? Is it your performance? But I would hate to know that my performance has dictated what's going on in another football office in another town three hours up the road. Because that's, you know, you've got enough stuff to worry about. It's almost like every decision that is made down at Auburn is based solely on what's going on at the Mount Moore Complex in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, that's exactly I, right. I mean, yeah, I hate to say it like that, but that's true. So the college football playoffs, let's get away from the SEC championship game that I think Alabama's going to just blow Florida out of the water. Yeah, I was going to say, we can wrap that up by saying Alabama will be your SEC champion and it won't be close. Yeah, it would not be close. I don't, I don't think it will be close. I don't think Florida can stop Alabama. They'll score some points. Yeah, Florida will score some points, but they will not. They will not stop Alabama. And even if it is close, just wait till they get to. If if I'm Alabama, you know what I do? If it gets close, I take a sack and I get to like third down and seventeen because then I know <laughs> I know what's coming. Oh, did you see what Mullen had to say this week? By the way, no. He said that Mac Jones did a pretty good job managing the game. So he has called out the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the league as a game manager. And, you know, to a quarterback, that's like the worst thing you can say about him. Steve Sarkeesian has done a great job. And I know he was much maligned at Southern Cal, but he's done a great job. But, hey, it's easy to call plays when you got, you know, when you recruit like that and what you got to work with. If you got Devontae Smith out there catching and Mac Jones throwing, it makes it a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot easier to call pitches when you've got Justin Verlander on the hill compared, you know, to, to me. So well, Saban's going to run it up in in my estimation, given the chance, and I I think he'll have it. College football playoff. Are you a fan of Ohio State being in the top four? I'm not. I am not. And the reason is, and I, I boy, I hesitate to agree with Dan Mullen on a lot, but he picked a very bad time to say it. If you look at Dan this year, after the A and M loss, he complains. They had too many fans in the stands, essentially. We better fill up our stadium next week, right when he gets COVID. He loses this game, and then he starts complaining about Ohio State getting in and not playing enough people. I am not a big fan only because they've played five football games so far. And look, if you want to say, well, it's not their fault, ultimately we're all kind of grouped with by the league we're in, right? The SEC came out, said, here's our plan, and we got to it. Kevin Warren and the Big Ten – have made a mess out of this season. And it's become very clear that all that they have done over the past few weeks is try to set things up to work well for Ohio State and to try to squeeze them in against their own rules into the Big Ten Championship and into the playoff. No, I'm not a fan. I think they're the top one of the top four teams in the country. I think they are. But if we're going to start talking about what's the, what's the reason you let Ohio State in and not a Cincinnati, okay? Is it because of the competition they play? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, over a 10-game span, you have a chance to not show up one day. I can motivate my guys for five games, but it's harder to motivate for 10. Do I think Cincinnati belongs in the top four? No. 
Do I think they belong in front of Ohio of Iowa State or Florida? You know, they probably played themselves to that point. So anyway, it's almost to the point of me saying, let's just go back to the daggum computers and the BCS and let them choose it instead of 20 guys sitting around a table arguing about who's the smarter person and trying to come up with something that was a little bit cooler, somewhat, somewhat cuter. Because if it's anything that we know about sometimes administrators in college sports, they just want to be heard. It's like that third official. When we went from two officials to three in basketball, that guy feels like he's got to he's got to blow, blow the whistle. He's got to blow the whistle every now and then. You get twenty guys around the table that all think they're smart. They're going to start offering their opinions, and then you're not going to have any consensus at all. So, and again, I'm not saying that Ohio State's not one of the best teams, but what I'm saying is ultimately it's not about who we think it's best. It's who proves it on the field. And if you look at Ohio State, I mean, are you thrilled by a win against Nebraska? Michigan State. Boy, Scott Frost was a hot name in the coaching world not too long ago. Are you but are you thrilled with beating Rutgers? Are you thrilled with beating Penn State, who's abysmal? So you beat a, an Indiana team by a touchdown. That's what you've done. Yeah. I mean, and I just am a big believer, going back to what we talked about with Mississippi State, it's the thing of having to do it week in, week out. It wears you down. And so we're not just judging people of how good are you when you're fresh. We're also judging you about how good are you after playing three tough games in a row. We you, can't judge them on that. And you know what I judge you on, too? If you have an arrogant fan base. And I don't like Ohio State. Well, there you go. <laughs> so all of a sudden, they've just plummeted in the Bart Gregory rankings. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk with Paul Jones of 247 about Mississippi State and recruiting uh, yesterday signing day across college football, the first of two signing days. And so we'll talk to Paula about what Mississippi State brought in and maybe some questions about what they didn't as well. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made at Cooper's Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence, producing the best sausage known to man, the original, the jalapeno cheddar. You know, one of the things they have out now, and you got to look for it, it's called the Juniors. If you if you like a you know a, a sausage that's a little bit smaller, it's uh, it's really really good stuff. It's the original recipe, but they just kind of shrink it down a little bit smaller. So look for those as well. But uh, the jalapeno cheddar, the pineapple and pork. I've seen somebody get the jalapeno and pineapple. That's good stuff as well. That's kind of a newer product out. But uh, check them out at your local grocer. Or you can go online to countrypleasing.com. They'll ship it to you right here before the holiday season. And once again, this guest line segment brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. And so let's go to the phones where Paul Jones with 24-7 Sports joins us. And Paul, you've been around this for a long time, man. You, you've talked to a lot of these guys you know, for the last you know, two to three years. And it's, it's crazy when you come to the culmination of a signing day after you put so much work in, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of people out there that they want to categorize it of a grand success or an epic failure or how they want to talk about signing day classes. But at the end of the day, when you start looking at at some of the guys that State got, I mean, the high-rated quarterback, it all starts at quarterback. At the end of the day, we, we really feel some needs yesterday with some signing day. I would agree with that, and, and you know, it. I guess it's 
par for the course and, and how recruiting is, but you know the three they didn't get uh, controlled the headlines, and, and it made a lot of people not look at what they did get. And, and I understand that disappointment, but you got to look at the class as a whole. And you know, outside of defensive back, uh, where they took a hit yesterday, uh, I thought they hit their knees on on a lot of positions, if not all positions, besides DB. Obviously, they need one or two more defensive linemen in the group, and you know, this day and age, you're still the transfer portal. We'll see how that shakes out. But, uh, you know, to me, the top three positions they hit on yesterday were quarterback, receivers, and linebackers. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, I guess you'd say the, the script was kind of flipped from what we're used to in, in years past when you look at the talent that they brought in at quarterback and wide receiver. Paul, I'm curious, the quarterback uh, that we brought in from Texas, Sawyer Robertson, one of the highest rated, maybe the highest rated quarterback Mississippi State has ever signed. I think Bart made the comment to me off air that if he were playing Madison Central or playing at Madison Central, rather, this would be the banner headline on the Clarion Ledger that he was signing. Kind of where do you put him in terms of national prospects and how big a signing was that for Mississippi State? Well, I mean, you know how many quarterbacks that the state of Texas produces every year, and and you look at the NFL, and there's a ton of them too. And you know, I think Sawyer, you know, what I've seen on film, he's the most talented one that that I've ever seen Mississippi State sign in my time doing this. I mean, and the good thing about Sawyer is, is he's a good fit. I mean, this is a guy that's been running the air raid system for the past three years, and uh, his numbers show it. Uh, this guy has, I think he enters this weekend's playoff game with 134 career touchdown passes, over 11,000 passing yards so far. So, uh, and the neat thing about Sawyer is, and, and I've got to know him pretty well over the past year or so, uh, the kid could care less about stats. He could care less about rankings. Uh, he, he's a unique kid and, uh, you know, he, he grew up idolizing Mike Leach and his system and, uh, that paid off, and, and, you know, I don't think it was any anybody was shocked as soon as Mike Leach was hired that Sawyer Robertson committed shortly after. And, I mean, that's uh, a guy that grew up in Lubbock, and obviously Mike Leach's name is, is pretty popular in Lubbock for what he did at Texas Tech. And uh, I think fans are going to love him, and uh, they'll love the type of character and just the attitude and mindset he has as well. Talking with Paul Jones, uh, 247 Sports. Paul, 15 high school signees, three junior college guys, one four-year transfer in, in the 19. And so going back to the high school route, and before we dump, uh, jump into some of these guys individually, you know, Charlie and I talked about this a few weeks ago about, you know, in, in 2017, that year right after we went, you know, what, six and seven and went to the St. Petersburg Bowl, we went heavily junior college guys. And now all of a sudden you're, you're beginning to see recruiting kind of inch back toward predominantly out of the high school. How big of a vacuum did a few years ago really create in backfilling with talent in this program? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a roll of the dice. And, and, yes, it paid off from a talent standpoint, but it also kept you from signing more high school guys and developing them. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody will complain about what Montez Sweat and Jonathan Abram and, and those guys did at Mississippi State. And uh, to me, that's probably, if not the best, one of the best top two JUCO classes that Mississippi State's ever signed. But uh, it does put you in a bind. Uh, you know, this year, Bartho, it was kind of different, you know, when, when they dip into the JUCO rankings because, man, some of these guys, 
this year didn't count, so they have three years of eligibility left at Mississippi State. In fact, there's one guy, an offensive lineman, Carson Williams. He actually has four years left uh, of eligibility at Mississippi State. He's an Arkansas State transfer that redshirted his first year there. Went to JUCO for one year. This year didn't count, so that's very rare. And, and you know, you have those guys a little bit longer than normal, but uh, it, it does hurt you in the future, and, and I think we saw that this year. And I think we especially saw it on the defensive line, uh, defensive end with some guys that came in for two years and left. Uh, but uh, it takes a year or two to get back that balance of the roster, and, and I think we'll see that with this class. One of the important things about the air raid is having the right kind of guys on that offensive line when you look at the schemes they're trying to run. Mike Leach has always seemed to have some pretty big offensive linemen, even on the interior in terms of tall guys with reach. How does this class fit uh, what you see as the need on the offensive line? You know, I thought they, they did a good job of, of finding some offensive tackles, and, and they found some guys with length everywhere and size everywhere. Uh, you know, we talked yesterday about Cannon Boone, a guy that's 6'4", 285, but he's probably going to end up playing center. And, uh, you know, they they want those tall monster guys at every position. And it, it's kind of it's, – it's, it's taking some getting used to, Charlie, uh, when you look at this group and how they recruit offensive linemen because in normal – years you see a guy six four six five and you automatically say okay well he's an offensive tackle that's easy to pick out but that's not the case with this group uh, a guy six four six five could just as easily be a center or a guard under this staff and uh they they really needed to hit the high school ranks hard this year and they also needed some older guys and, and they got a good mixture of that uh you know i think for all intents and purposes unless there's one too good to turn down that they may be done with that offensive line but I think fans need to get prepared for this. I think signing five offensive linemen is going to be something that we see every year, and in some years it may be six and seven. Talking with Paul Jones, 247 Sports, about signing day yesterday. We haven't talked about wide receivers, and, and one of the things that you could say, you could tell, you know, one is getting you know athleticism at wide receiver, but also getting some big guys. we got some big outside wide receivers in this class. They do, and, and that's another thing that this – yeah. It's, his, it's size and speed at wide receiver, and maybe it's because he got hurt midway through the year and had to had to miss four or five games. But uh, Jacoby Moore is a guy that has the size and the speed, and you know I, I know other guys in in that receiver class got a lot more height, and deservedly so for what they've done on the high school front. But uh, it would not shock me at all to see Jacoby Moore end up being the best of that group. I um, mean, this is a guy that played six eight football in Mississippi. Uh, a guy that had meniscus surgery early in the season, and at the time everybody thought he was done for the year, but he came back, missed four or five games, and still put up 850 receiving yards and had some of his best games, if not all of his best games, after the surgery. So uh, we, we got a good glimpse of that, Bart, early when Steve Spurrier and that crew came on board uh, that they wanted speed and size at the wide receiver position. And uh, – Judging from from what they did yesterday, I, I think they hit on a lot of those guys. Signing day, at least part one, is in the books. There's still room for teams to add. There's a, another signing day still coming. One of the things that's interesting to me is the new landscape in terms of guys being able to transfer, You know, the transfer portal and things like that. With the remaining spots that Mississippi State has, what is your feel going forward? How much of that's going to be kind of trying to – 
find some opportunities in the transfer portal? How much of it is going after more high school or junior college kids? I think they'll hit the portal, maybe possibly um, at defensive back. I, I do think they need some older help there. Uh, they're still targeting a couple of JUCO cornerbacks, and one of those guys, Jadarius Perkins, is making his decision on Christmas Day. So uh, Mississippi State's heavily in the mix there. We'll see how that plays out. But, uh, you know, I think DB is probably the main position where you need older help. Obviously, you've got some talent at cornerback, but there's no depth there. Same thing as safety with guys opting out or, or transferring from the program. It it really left a big hole in safety, and, and you see what they're what they're down to right now with just little depth. And uh, you know that's if you look back at previous classes, Charlie, that's probably been where Mississippi State's encountered the most misses, and, and it's it caught up to them this year when you see how much how few guys they have to be able to play right now and. That has really hurt them, and, and especially from a depth standpoint. Uh, to me, that's probably going to be the biggest position moving forward when you look at the portal. Talking with Paul Jones. Hey, Paul, before we let you go, I mean, it's always you know, a revolving situation when it comes to, to football recruiting. I know you guys are already working toward you know next year's class, the 2022 class. How tough has it been in football recruiting, not just at Mississippi State, but in the general landscape of college football, for these guys to have to make decisions and never be on an official visit and have to do everything via Zoom, recruiting is different now. You know, you don't have you know the junior days. You didn't have the junior days this past year. How is that going to affect next year's class? I mean, this year you had some guys that could come in on junior days last year, but now now you're starting to be about getting into recruiting on guys who have never ever visited a campus. How is that going to play a part next year? It's going to play a huge part, especially if things don't open back up. And, uh, you know, I I hear all the time, and it's true, all staffs are dealing with the same thing, but you're talking about this year being, you know, this being a first-year staff that has never been face-to-face with most of these kids. And uh, recruiting is, is very much so based on relationships and, you know, you you look at the guy, the only guy that they retain that, that knows the state well is Tony Hughes. And one of Tony's biggest attributes is, is how he is in, in the living rooms with parents on, uh, you know, in-home visits and things like that. And, and that wasn't able to be used this year. Uh, you know, obviously it, it affected uh, an evaluation standpoint. It was impossible to know how these kids are from a coachable standpoint because you didn't have them at camps, like you said. Uh, you couldn't be around them much. Uh, you couldn't be around them at all. Uh, couldn't have them on campus. Couldn't go to their houses. But uh, it's only going to get worse if things don't open up soon because, uh, I mean, let's face it, camps are, are the bloodline of Mississippi State recruiting. And that's where you find so many guys in Mississippi that are overlooked. Uh, you know, this year we saw some guys come out. Calvin Johnson from French Camp Academy. John Lewis from Germantown. Two months ago, nobody even knew who they were. And now John Lewis is a signing of Mississippi State, has several Power Five offers, and, uh, and is rated four-star by 24-7 sports. And you know how Mississippi is. There's always some hidden guys, no matter how many camps they go to. But when you take that aspect away, it's it's going to be interesting to see how some of these guys pan out. And I don't just mean Mississippi State. You're going to have several several kids across the country that uh, are either bust or Huge surprises because nobody got to spend time around them. The coaches couldn't go evaluate them on Friday night. So it's 
a lot of roll of the dice with this year's recruiting class, and that's just not with Mississippi State. It's for everybody because it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all this pans out in two or three years. Yep, no doubt. Paul, appreciate it. Hey, let me ask you this question real, real quick, a, a second quick before we go. Does it hurt State worse than a lot of other places? And the reason I say that is, you know, there's a misnomer, especially outside the state of Mississippi, about – coming to a small town, coming to Startwell, Mississippi. And one of the things our coaches always talk about, if we can ever get a kid here, they understand the facilities they have. They understand the, the family, the fan base, and everything of that nature. Not allowing kids to come probably hurts us a little bit more than others. It does. And, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard a kid say this, I'd be a rich man. But I've heard so many of them say, like, man, I, you know, we were driving into Startwell and I didn't know what to expect. And it's like campus is a whole different city. And they say they're just amazed when they get to campus and how great it looks and uh, just how the friendliness of everybody around and just being around the people in Starville, uh, that does hurt. And, and it especially hurts, again, having a first-year staff because they can have all the Zoom meetings, the virtual tours of campus if they want to, but there's nothing like being there yourself and, and having your feet on campus and experiencing it with your own eyes. So uh, hopefully we get to that point where we get a visit again. I think the dead period is already extended until April, mid-April. So uh, that probably already knocks out all of your junior days for the class of 22. So uh, it's probably going to be touch and go in that aspect, Bart, for, uh, for a few more months. Paul, appreciate you. Thanks as always. Anytime. Well, thanks, Paul. And that's Paul Jones talking Mississippi State recruiting signing day yesterday. Paul Jones with 24-7 Sports. Well, Charlie and I will come back with a final word right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Good stuff from Paul Jones, as always. I tell you what, uh, Charlie, those guys, they work it all year long. I mean, they've been working on the 2022 class for a while now, and so – yeah, Paul Jones, Steve Robertson, and all those guys over 24-7, they do a great job of talking to these guys and kind of giving you some information. Check them out at 24-7 Sports, uh, Mississippi State at Gene's page. And, well, they just do a good job. And, and they kind of know the pulse around everything. But at the end of the day, you know, you go through the entire recruiting process and you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and, hey, things change late. Yeah, they certainly do. I tell you, though, Paul does a really good job, not of being a cheerleader, but a guy who really gets to know families, gets his sources. We talked about that with Ian Rappaport a couple of weeks ago. you got to develop those sources, and that comes with having trust and really appreciate his insight. So, State uh, taking on the Missouri Tigers this weekend. And once again, the segment brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com, the best insurance service without doubt. And so, we look at the Missouri Tigers. Missouri coming in at 5-4 and four on the season. You know, they got off to a tough start to start the season. They lost at home against Alabama 38-19. to It was kind of ho-hum. They played a little bit better than they thought they would. Then in week two, they, they went on the road to Tennessee. And, and it, at that time, you know, Tennessee started with two wins. They beat Missouri 35-12. to And people thought Tennessee was better and Missouri was worse. And then – in week three, they catch a reeling LSU team at home. They went 45-41 to 41 late in that game, had to win it very, very late. They played that game at 11 o'clock in the morning. Remember, they were supposed to play in Baton Rouge, and then they moved that game to Columbia, Missouri late. 
and Missouri wins 45-41. to But to me, one of the most impressive things about Missouri this year was the way they handled Kentucky in week four. You know, Kentucky was coming off that win over us, and then they beat Kentucky at home 20-10, to and that was really when I think they began to turn it around just a little bit. I thought that was the defining win for Missouri, as you say. Kind of turned things around a little bit. And you go and then you look a couple of weeks later, they beat South Carolina. They lose to Florida 41-17, but come back and they beat South Carolina. And then they do what you're supposed to do against Vanderbilt. They beat them really bad. And then one more kind of win that shows you who they are. They beat Arkansas 50-48. to And so somebody was asking me yesterday, where do you put Missouri in the league? And the best way I knew to describe it was there are some teams in our league who are really good. And I think you could put Alabama up there, Texas A&M, and, you know, kind of Florida right there. Then there's some teams that are okay, and then there's just a big jumbled mess. I think Missouri's probably the best of that big jumbled mess. Yeah, 5-4 and four coming in. They lost last week against Georgia at home, beating 49-14, to 14, a game that really wasn't close. And so, Charlie, you know, I look at this game. I mean, you start trying to figure out, you know, winnable games. Is this a game? I haven't seen the line yet. But this is a winnable game. And I think if you asked each of these teams, if you ask Missouri right now, if you're, if you're in Columbia, Missouri, and you're in the football office in Columbia, they're going to say this is a winnable football game and a game that we should win. And I think if you walk over to the SEAL building here and start, well, they're going to say, hey, this is a winnable game. And you know what? This is a game we should probably win. Very rarely do you get to a 5-4 and four team and then a two-win team that are thinking the exact same thing out of a game. It's really interesting because I think so much of this ball game is going to depend on mindset. That's something we talk about a lot is where are teams mentally coming into ball games? You look at Missouri, it's a team that had a little momentum. They had beaten three teams in a row before Georgia just really took it to them. Now, look, Georgia is a different team than they were early in the season. Can we say that that's probably the team that is the most significantly been changed from the start of the season to now? Is that fair? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You know, you change the guy under center, it can make a big old difference. And I think it's probably made a bigger difference at Georgia than than anywhere we've seen in a while. And so you've got a team, though, and Missouri's got a chance to win four of their last five. You've got to think that they are in the going to be in a good mindset wanting to come in. And for Mississippi State, you looked at these last two and you thought you had a chance in both of them. Look, just to be honest, kind of laid an egg a little bit against Auburn, and so now here's your last chance. When, I, when you think about Missouri, I think you have to start with Larry Roundtree. I mean, he rushed for 185 yards a couple of weeks ago against Arkansas. Now, Georgia shut him down. Georgia was able to make Missouri one-dimensional, and I think that's probably what you're going to try to see Mississippi State try to do this week. Now, they only had their difficulties pretty much last week in the fourth quarter against Auburn. And now you've got another good running back in Roundtree, Basilak, 32 of 49 a couple of weeks ago against Arkansas, 380 yards. They've gone more to a short passing team and then running the football. And so it'll be it'll be kind of crazy to see what you know Zach Arnett does because their offense is somewhat similar to Auburn. They're, they're not going to throw it down the field and give you that deep threat. They're going to throw it underneath and try to run the football. It's very similar, their offense, to what Gus Malzahn does at Auburn. Yeah, I would say the thing that they probably don't do as well, though, is you don't run it as well at the quarterback spot. You know, Basilak's not a guy that you worry about running the football the way you would a Bo Nix. Um, but on the other hand, 
pretty good being accurate with the football. And now and then they'll sneak a wheel route out of there and beat you down the field. So you've got to be careful there. But I think when this game is – when we're sitting here before the game on Saturday and you say, what are the keys to the game? I think what I'm going to very likely be saying is that if you hold Larry Roundtree 80 yards or under, you're going to win the football game. And if you let him have a big running game, you are not going to win the football game. I think a lot of this is going to be on uh, our defense to shut down Roundtree and give us a chance to win. One of the encouraging things, we looked at Tank Bigsby last week for Auburn, and we talked about how good a job he did after contact. Roundtree is not a big breakaway guy. He's more of a bowling ball kind of guy. He's like one of these 5'10", 210 kind of guys. So I think it's going to be you got to get there and you got to lock up. But the big thing is just not getting pushed around. I go back to last week, and after watching some of the game again, realizing just how impressive Bo Nix was of hitting the eject button and getting out of the pocket. And I think that really played such a big part in the fourth quarter. I mean, you start looking about how many times they had to chase him. And I think we were just so beat down when it got to the fourth quarter. Here's the thing about us. Uh, uh, To me, we've got to do a much better job coming out of the gates early on in the first and the third quarter. We've got to have a lead going into the fourth. Playing, you know, 45 to 50 guys. When you're playing that few, and you sit there and say, hey, what's the big difference in playing 55 and playing 48? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. When you're going into the fourth quarter this week, we can't be playing come-from-behind football. No, and we look, we've seen it. It hasn't worked, right? You had a chance at the Georgia game to go down and tie it up. You weren't able to do it. You had a chance at the Ole Miss game to go do it. I don't think this is a team right now that is built to come from behind. We're going to have to try to get a lead at – you feel like your defense maybe then can rise to the occasion. Now, one of the things we don't know, at least I don't know, is whether Marquis Spencer is going to play. And so if we are sitting here talking about how are we going to control the run, having him out there would be really nice. Yeah, it's a big difference. I mean, it's a it's a real big difference. And so this weekend, 2.30, the kickoff. It's weird having football games on the day of the SEC championship game. And, of course, we're going to kick it off at 2.30. SEC alternate, which means you're going to have to search for it. You're going to have to look for it. And if if you're asking me how to, how to find it, I mean, I just stream it. Charlie, enjoyed it as always. We'll probably take next week off because, hey, next Thursday is Christmas Eve. It's the Christmas Eve. Talking about buying that new car we talked about a little bit ago for Chris Keene. Stick that one up under the tree. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's getting here in a hurry, isn't it? Man, Christmas time is here. And so you guys have a, a Merry Christmas and a great Christmas season. Appreciate you guys. Hit subscribe. And, and once again – our company that we work with has sponsored a new show. It's called State Style. It's about basketball with Robbie Falk and Brock Turnipseed. They put out a couple of shows already. They put out a show day before yesterday on Tuesday. Man, they do a great job of kind of going behind the scenes in basketball. And, you know, Charlie and I are doing a football and then a baseball, but we, we really felt there was a void in there with, with men's and women's basketball. And Brock has, has, has a great experience with women's basketball. Robbie's been around basketball a good bit. But also Robbie will throw some, he'll throw some recruiting in there as well. And so it, it's great to have those guys on board and, and, and doing what they do. And they're brought to you by Bank First. And so our sponsors – Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Country Pleasing Sausage, 
just the best known to man. Get a gift pack for Christmas. That's what you need to do is send somebody some sausage for Christmas. And then uh, our fine friends at Cannon Ford of Starkville. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.